Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 62. Here Isaiah pictures Israel's release from Babylonian captivity, and he celebrates God's love and faithfulness in providing salvation. Isaiah writes, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And you shall no more be termed forsaken, for your land shall no more be termed desolate. And you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church in Corinth had several issues, and one of them was the visions within the congregation. Paul seeks to unify them by teaching them that whatever, whatever God's gifts are, they are all given by the one Spirit of God. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Songs of thankfulness and praise, Jesus Lord to thee we raise. Manifested by the star to the sages from afar. Branch of royal David, stand in thy birth at Bethlehem. Anthems be to thee addressed, God in man made manifest. Manifest at Jordan's stream, prophet, priest, and king supreme, and at Cana wedding. 
stand to honor the person and work of Jesus as recorded in the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. This passage is the basis for the message today. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then, pour, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Text for this morning, as Vicar has announced, is our gospel lesson recorded in John chapter 2. We left Jesus last week standing at the edge of the Jordan, the heavens opening, the Holy Spirit descending, the Father speaking, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, who had been born under miraculous circumstances, then had been hidden away in a tiny, obscure little village of Nazareth, But now he steps out onto the world stage and he will begin his mission to rescue the whole creation from the mess we've made. Our reading for today ends with these words. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. But honestly... At first glance, it does not look all that spectacular. I mean, bear in mind that Cana is an even smaller, more obscure village than Nazareth. At a wedding for a nameless couple, the miracle of Jesus seems like an ordinary, everyday sort of experience that people might not have expected. And as far as the story in the Gospel of John is, re- is concerned, the only people who even knew about it were his mother, a few, a few of the servants, and some of the disciples. I was thinking about that today. I wondered if there isn't actually a lesson in all of that for us. That today I would like for us to learn that, that when we witness the wonder of Jesus in ordinary everydayness of our experience, his real presence will transform our lives into something extraordinary. And so we're going to use this last verse of the reading as our guide because I want to talk to you first about the sign itself and then his glory manifested and then the believing. First of all, the sign. Now, such a little word, and yet packed with so much significance. I mean, what is a sign? Well, I don't know any other way to put it than a sign is not the thing itself, but rather something that points to, that directs, that leads us to the main thing. And you may already know this, but in John's account of Jesus' life, it's the signs, the acts of Jesus that bring us to the recognition and then to the reception of who he is and what he has done. In fact, John arranges the whole account of Jesus around seven signs and then concludes at the end in chapter 20 like this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in these books, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. One of our holiday traditions is the annual 
Christmas jigsaw puzzle. That's a thousand pieces of wintry wonderfulness laid out on the kitchen island and then depending on your level of patience and persistence becomes a stopping place to stand there and search for that one piece that goes right there. Now puzzlers know that one of the keys to puzzling is the picture on the front of the box, right? I mean, it's that picture that guides the placing of the individual pieces. I'd like to suggest to you today that to witness the wonder of this first sign that Jesus performs, we're going to have to take a step back and look at the picture on the box. In the verses just before our reading, Jesus has called six of his disciples, Andrew and his brother Peter, John and his brother James, and then Philip and his friend Nathaniel. And it's the interaction with Nathaniel that sets the stage for our reading. Philip had told Nathaniel, we found the one whom Moses wrote about. His name is Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel issues his famous retort, can anything good come from Nazareth? When Jesus finally meets Nathanael, he says to him, Ah, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael, surprised, asks, How do you know me? And with what I've always imagined was a wry little smile and a wink, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel suddenly, out of the blue, enthusiastically bursts out, You are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. In response, Jesus sort of chuckles, I think. <laughs> says, Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And then he holds up, the cover of the box. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the heavens opening we did last week, remember? Heaven and earth were never supposed to, to be two separate realms. We were designed and created to dwell permanently in the full, real, face-to-face -face presence of God. That's what we lost when the first humans sent God off to the sidelines and took life into their own hands. Angels ascending and descending is a time machine. Back to a man named Jacob, recorded in Genesis chapter 28, who had a dream and he saw the heavens open and a stairway stretching from heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending on it. It's a big picture, front of the box. Jesus now lays claim to that vision and he says, I am the stairway. The heavens are open, the angels are ascending and descending on me. Only through me do you have access back into the real presence of God. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he lays claim to another Old Testament title, one that 
almost was lost and forgotten, or at least was not associated with the popular ideas of the Messiah at that time. Nathanael had called Jesus the Son of God, which he certainly is, but now Jesus connects himself to the title Son of Man, which is found in Daniel chapter 7. Where in a vision, Daniel sees one like a son of man who is given a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Oh, one last look at the cover. Heavens open, the son of man, a stairway into the real presence of God. The future kingdom that shall not be destroyed is pictured over and over in the Bible as a wedding, as a marriage. You heard it in the Old Testament lesson this morning from Isaiah. So here's, here's a tiny little piece of the puzzle. Look where Jesus is. You know what I imagine in my head? I see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and their Holy Spirit with their heads together over the scattered pieces of their beautiful creation, grinning from ear to ear as they watch the disciples pick up the wedding of Cana and fit it into place as Jesus now manifested his glory. Look, Jesus' response to Mary, when you read it, when you hear it, seems odd. It seems almost abrupt. Although Bible scholars who study such things assure us that Jesus calling his mother woman is not as rude as it sounds in our ears, but that it in fact reveals a change in their relationship as he begins his ministry. For while Mary will forever be his mother, that relationship now shifts into the background as he takes on the divine role as Savior. So witness the wonder of the Son of God who has now become the Son of Man. In John's Gospel, every time that Jesus says, my hour, he is talking specifically about the hour of his death. You have to picture this, Jesus standing in the middle of the joy of that wedding celebration, but with the ultimate wedding celebration when heaven and earth will be brought back together again, looming up before him. And to get from Cana to the wedding feast of the new heaven and the new earth, he will have to go to the cross. For us to drink from the cup of joy, he will have to drink to the dregs the cup of God's judgment of our sin. At a wedding, for a nameless couple in a tiny little village called Cana, Jesus began to manifest his glory. But that will culminate at the cross, his greatest glory. Although neither one looks all that glorious 
to us. That's the way that God has always worked. God has always hidden himself away in ordinary people, in ordinary places, that when you see them with the eyes of faith, they explode in your head and in your heart into glorious living color. You know what I'm talking about? Look, go read the story of God in your Bible. God picks old man Abraham and his barren wife Sarah to be the beginning of the plan to send Jesus into the world. It's Jacob, the sneaky little brother, not his strapping older brother Esau that God chooses. It's a runaway fugitive named Moses who leads the people out of slavery in Egypt. It's barren Hannah who gives birth to Samuel. It's Samuel who anoints David, the runt of the litter of eight boys to be king. Over and over, God works through seemingly ordinary, insignificant people and experiences to put his creation back together again. Jesus, the Messiah himself, comes as an infant born in a stable out of sight, out of mind. It's to lowly shepherds that angel messengers come to point them to the newborn king. Jesus comes not as a rich and famous and powerful celebrity, but as one who has no place to lay his head and gives his life as a ransom for us all. I hope you see what that means. If hidden away in the ordinary, seemingly insignificant, is the way that God has worked in the past, then perhaps it is still the way that he is working in the present. And when we witness the wonder of Jesus in the ordinary, he transforms our lives into something extraordinary. So witness the wonder of Jesus in the plain, ordinary words that you are hearing even now that are written down for you in a book called the Bible, that when you hear them, when you read them, when you ponder them, they become the very power of God to create faith that will explode in your head and in your heart and change the way that you see everything. Witness the wonder of ordinary water put on you in your baptism that united you in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that now every time you see, hear, taste, touch, and smell water, the Holy Spirit rushes in again to wash away your sin, to renew your faith. Witness the wonder of Jesus in, with, and under a tiny little bit of bread and a little sip of wine as you receive his very body and blood in the Lord's Supper to nourish your faith with his very real presence. Witness the wonder of Jesus in the simple conversations that you have about your faith with another follower, for wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, there is he in the midst of them. Witness the wonder in the ordinary 
and it will transform you into a disciple who believes in him. The disciples with Jesus at the wedding in Cana were only beginning to comprehend the extraordinary life that faith in Jesus produces in us. And maybe you're here this morning like them and you're, you're just beginning or, or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus all of your life. But either way, there is a veteran follower of Jesus in this story that gives us a peek at the extraordinary life of faith. Mary had been with Jesus, well, his whole life. Now you imagine all that she had seen and heard. She had pondered all those things in her heart. Now I want you to look at this text and see what it produced in her. First, she noticed the needs of others around her at the feast. I mean, that may seem trivial to you and to me, but to run out of wine in that culture would have been a serious embarrassment for that couple. And Mary sees it, and she acts on their behalf. The extraordinary life of faith worked in you again today sets you free this week to look around and to be curious about the lives and the needs of those around you. For Pete's sake, people, you have been forgiven. You're born again. Your life, your eternal life is secure in Jesus. You can stop worrying about yourself and start responding to others. Second, she goes to Jesus straight away and she simply states the problem. They have no wine. That's it. No long, drawn-out explanation of how it happened or what she thinks he ought to do about it. She just tells him and then trusts him to do what is best. The extraordinary life of faith given to you again this morning goes to Jesus as the first resort, not the last, and simply lays the burden down before him. Look, I'm not saying that you can't tell him all about it or that you can't even offer him suggestions on what to do. He's very patient. But the trick is trusting that whatever he does is always what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. And that's a hard one. Because sometimes I don't like what he does. And then I have to remind myself that if he died for me, won't he also do what's best for me? Ah, but watch Mary closely. Because next she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. You know, it's kind of fun to imagine what they must have thought as they filled those jars to the brim with water. Even funnier to imagine the looks on their faces as they carried a sample to the master of the feast. But look what they received. They became witnesses to the wonder named Jesus. The extraordinary life of faith grows and it develops over a lifetime to do whatever Jesus tells you 
And what does he tell us? Well, lots and lots of things. Like, don't be afraid. Like, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Like, love one another as I have loved you. Look, the wine that Jesus supplied was not only abundant, more than enough, it was the very best wine. The life of faith is full to the brim with the best. Witness the wonder of Jesus in the ordinary, and he will transform your life into an extraordinary life of faith. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. Let's stand and sing.